Some people might get the community rights, and some people might get the economy right, and some people might get the scaling right, some people might get the art and the gameplay right, but I think putting it all together is great where the, where the magic happens. Welcome to Layer Zero. Layer Zero is a podcast of unscripted conversations with the people that make up the Ethereum community. Crypto is built by code, but it's composed by people, and each individual member of the crypto community has their own story to tell. The cypherpunks understood that the code they write impacts the people that use it. And Layer Zero focuses on the people behind the code because Ethereum is people all the way down and it always has been. Today, we are speaking with Jiho from Axie Infinity. And Axie Infinity might be one of the first uh, organizations that knowingly is calling them a nation uh, and really, really fits that model. And I really think the Axie nation is the right way to understand what Axie is trying to do. Uh, and so that makes Jiho one of the first core community leaders of the Axie Nation. A very um, has a very uh, in interesting vantage point as to how to view communities, communities growing around Web three. I think, as we all know, like all things in Web three, all have communities around them. Uh, everything that tends to work tends to also have its own community. Uh, and so we discuss how the Axie community has grown, the, the ways that it has shaped over the years during in its various uh, sizes as Axie has progressed through its development. We talk a ton about what the metaverse is, what it means, why people like it, and how it will be shaped in the future. Uh, and also just some other fun facts and tidbits about Jiho, uh, which I don't think you would get anywhere else. So. Let's go and start talking to Jiho right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you wanna make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum. And is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas feeds and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot is a social experience. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT or soon a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants program is accepting applications for grants. 
Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a unique grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Hey, Jiho. How's it going? Hey, David. Uh, yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, of course. Where are you in the world right now? Uh, I am in uh, Puerto Rico. Oh, yeah? Where, where are you? Do you live there? I don't think you don't live there, do you? I'm staying here for a bit. Uh, I I got stuck here after Metaverso, and you know, just have a lot of work, so <laughs> didn't want to wanted to tra stop traveling. So, well, Puerto Rico is not a bad place to get stuck at. So that must be a vibe. There's a lot of crypto people uh, down there. Anybody from Axie? Uh, yeah, there are some Axie community members down here, for sure. Uh, play we play basketball, go to the gym together. Uh, so, hey, well, I'm sure you have a uh, Axie friends all over the world. So no matter where you get stuck at, you can probably hang find some some members of the Axie Nation wherever you live. Yeah, that's that's one of the best parts of the community. Um, so where did you uh, grow up? Let's go back to your let's go back to just like your formative years. Where where did you grow up in the world? So I grew up. I was born in New York, and I grew up there for the most part. Um, yeah, grew up gaming. Yeah, so I yeah grew up as a gamer, as a collector. My dad is my dad's an interesting guy. He's like he's a polymath man, so he has like so many different interests. So he owned a gallery as as a painter. He collects insects and fossils. So he's really into like moths and butterflies. Um, he's actually an attorney as as kind of as for his profession. So he's kind of like doing a lot of different stuff. Uh, my mom is Korean. She's like a typical tiger mom. She was super strict. Uh, so I was always right like trying to play games she was always <laughs> trying to get me not to play games uh my cousins are korean i'm half korean um so jiho is actually my name uh my korean name mm -hmm. and my cousins would bring over like starcraft diablo world of warcraft it's kind of how i got into, into gaming a bit uh whatever game i played my my entire school ended up playing um for some reason <laughs> i was like the curator uh, and yeah, so I, you know, got, got really into gaming as a kid. I was an only child. So I think like I was, you know, just keeping myself occupied and trying, you know, kind of right in the early days, right? Like Starcraft, that was the first thing I ever did on the internet. And you could actually kind of socialize from your, from your bedroom as, as, as a mm -hmm. kid. Um, yeah, my mom sent me to boarding school cause I was way too into wow, vanilla wow. Um, and that's basically why I left New York, went to New Hampshire. Yeah. These are all uh, blizzard games. Is that a coincidence or what's up with that? Those are, I think, a lot of the games that really defined uh, defined me, I think, happened to be Blizzard games. Um, I was also really into uh, Donkey Kong Country, like, you know, during the Super Nintendo days. Um, Zelda, like, Ocarina of Time, I think I, I played through maybe 20, 20 plus times. Obviously, uh, Pokemon. I, I still have my Pokemon collection from when I was a kid. I was an early adopter. Uh, I didn't know at the time, right? But... I have a bunch of like first editions and shadowless um, that I was just collecting as a kid because I wanted them. Like I would sell shark's teeth um, and my my drawings and stuff like that to scrounge enough, scrounge up enough. Um, and yeah, apparently my my collection's worth quite quite a bit now, which is crazy because like that was all, yeah, you know, just collected by me as as a kid with without too much capital. And you was it to uh, play the actual Pokemon Guard game, or was it more about the collection? It was more about the flex, I think, and just I have this collector's instinct, right? Where I just there's sometimes some things that I just need, right? And I think it's similar to my dad. I think I'm, I think it's genetic. I think I inherited it from my father, right? Where my my dad has cases on cases of butterflies. Uh, I think he has like around forty thousand insects uh, that wow. he keeps in our house. 
so I think I just have that collector's gene. So, you know, I got really into, you know, I played the poke, I played Pokemon on Game Boy, uh, but in terms of the card game, you know, I was an only child, so I didn't have anyone to play against right. me. Uh, <laughs> so I would just collect them. Um, you know, I was always, yeah, like that wasn't, that was right. Those were in the days of kind of, Right. It's like if you wanted to play with other people, they had to like kind of come over to your house or whatever. So people would come over to hang out. But most of the time I was just by myself. Like I was one of the kids that bought two Game Boys so I could trade with myself, um, my blue, <laughs> my red and blue version so I could get the 150. Right. You couldn't get one. That was one of the be genius aspects of Pokemon was you needed. Right. Like you, right. you couldn't get all 150 um, in classic. Right. Uh, in the classic versions, unless you actually right like somehow traded with someone who had the other version of the game i guess like the yeah the, the loophole is that you could just be both people did you uh, ever complete your pokedex i think yeah i think i had 150 yeah which was your uh starter what is your starter pokemon uh i i picked charmander, charmander? I, i'm i meant i'm i like reptiles like i i grew up cl uh having uh lizards and uh like salamanders or not reptiles, like amphibians but yeah mm -hmm. like i always had frogs salamanders reptiles um uh, snakes turtles so you, so you pick the yeah right got to pick the the fire fire reptile um you, you said that you uh were like the trendsetter for your uh for your school's games i want to unpack that a little bit how that happened like why, why was it a coincidence or was it just you had the energy about the games that you liked and that ended up being enough what was there yeah it's 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 strange where Right. Like, yeah, I would, you know, I want, I just wanted people to play with me or like with Diablo, like I would get people and right. I was like, you know, I, I, I wanted people to trade with on amicable terms or to kind of, you know, to kind of farm for me, I would gear them up and, you know, say, Hey, get me, you know, send me some stuff later, you know, once you're up and running. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think I, I, I was just really into it and my, I think also it was like my, my, uh, my cousins were really, they're Korean. They were like really right, kind of ahead of the curve. They would get like the new Blizzard game as soon as it came out. So for some reason, I was always the one uh, who would get this stuff first. Um, and also, right, it was like also, I think my, uh, my birthday was right around like where like, you know, games would launch. So I would always, you know, get whatever for my birthday and uh, try to spread it to the rest of the school. So I had people to sp play with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a winter birthday. Yeah, I'm, uh, February, early February. Yeah, okay. Uh, that, that that's pretty that's pretty cool. Cause like, uh, actually, we'll we'll go in uh, go into that later. Uh, what was it? Um, perhaps. I mean, you're kind of a charismatic dude. So when you come to come to school with your games that you want to talk about, um, what, were were you like a a school socialite? Like, did you like to? Were you just um like to just share stuff with other people and just happen to be games or like what was your role in, in with your friends in school it, var it varied over time but huh. uh i think like if you ask my i like it's hard for me to you know comment on that but if you yeah. ask my mom my mom will say that you know everyone for some reason all the boys or whatever like wanted uh you know to be my friend for some reason they, they would try to like impress me by playing games i don't know i don't know what it was about but do you see any of that still being true in your your time at Axie now? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, I think great. Like, you have an entire back, continent wanting yeah. to play with you at the moment. <laughs> yeah, th thinking back, right? It's like it should have been obvious that I think I could be a good, you know, a person to evangelize a game, um, to spread a game. Um, it's you know, it's c come more into focus as things have progressed. So yeah, it's 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 
it's been it's been a crazy journey and you know i never i never would have dreamed that i would be you know involved in gaming as a profession um mm -hmm. i didn't know what i want to do with my life for most of my life right so it's only within the last four years or so that i've really uh yeah i felt like I've, I've i've found my calling did you ever have like a entrepreneurial spirit as a kid or is that also relatively new i think i was uh so i was you know selling shark's teeth i sold candy in my lunchroom shark's teeth uh, like like we're talking about actual shark's yeah, teeth. fossil shark's teeth like okay. fossil shark's teeth like 10 million because my dad he, he we would collect fossils on the weekend and he would you know he would let me take you know the ones that weren't perfect and, and sell them to the kids um so yeah, I was all you know. I was kind of artistic as a kid too. I was you know paint, uh, selling my drawings. And so I would sell my drawings and paintings to anyone that came into my house, so like my mom's friends, my tutor, <laughs> people who came over to my dad's, uh, to, who came over to look at my dad's collection. So yeah, I think like I I have. I think I'm a people pleaser. Uh, mm -hmm. So I I think like right like also giving people what they want and right, having like some kind of beneficial two way transaction. I think makes me makes me happy so it wasn't out of like a like a drive to save up for something that you wanted to purchase it was more about like the transaction itself i uh, i think really like, there's a social element of it but then obviously yeah like you know I, I always was saving up for something right i my shadowless charizard i saved up you know a while uh, to be able to buy it i think i paid 15 bucks or maybe 15 to 25 bucks i think they're worth like 15k now uh, oh my god so, so <laughs> So I saved up for a while for that. Um, I would create, my mom would, and I would, we would, I would actually create my own reward structures as well, where it was like, oh, if I do something good, I'll get a marble. <laughs> um, and then if I get t 10 marbles, my mom would give me like $10 or buy me a toy or something like that. So I was also interested in that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I would say I was a relatively entrepreneurial kid. I think that there are more entre entrepreneurial kids out there. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I had a little bit of that in me. That sounds a little bit of a uh, incentive gamification that you impose upon yourself by your mom. Is that is that what sound about right? Yeah, I would create the incentive structures that my mom would use to keep me behaved. Yeah, and then uh, of course, naturally, this just lends itself into game like game economics design later, right? Like, is that is that a direct one to one comparison, or am I reaching for something here? Yeah, I think I think there's some I think there's some parallel there. Yeah. Yeah. Why um why do you feel like you've in, enjoyed that so much? Like most kids don't want to impose rules upon themselves. I think it was like I wanted I wanted something and I wanted uh I, yeah, I wanted like a clear path towards getting mm -hmm. it. Um so yeah, it was kind of like negotiation strategy I think with with my mom as well where mm -hmm. um yeah. Um let's see. Do you think like do you, do you like the sense of, did you like the sense of achievement? Was that about it? Like, uh, you know, victory unlocked? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I do like transparent reward systems, I think. Um, I always, I'm always, I, you know, tend to think about that a lot with, right, Axie, you know, not just within the game. You know, the game economy, I have like a, you know, I would say, a, you know, relatively small role with, but also, you know, the creators and the and the community and how every, everyone kind of aligns incentives Uh with each other for sure i find that i find it fascinating right i, th I think that's actually right like my understanding of web3 because i come you know i'm not a, i don't come from a technical background um right i come from a gaming uh background the collector's background right so uh for me right like the well, the huge unlock that i see with web3 is 
you know, figuring out how to align incentives um, and create these kinds of sustainable economic engines to these open source technologies. And if, so that's, that's like a lot of, yeah, how I'm looking at the space right now. So from, for the out, the onlooker, the people that aren't like diving into Axie Infinity every single day and kind of just like knows that it exists and that it's extremely vibrant, your role in Axie kind of just lo looks like this great community manager, like this great community leader who's just like part of just like injecting vibes and energy into, into the community. Would you, A, A do you agree with that uh, take? And then B, if you, for somebody that would like to actually peer deeper into the scenes, what do you actually do? <laughs> sure. So I, I think I think that's fair. Uh, so I actually come from the community, which some mm -hmm. people uh, might not realize or remember <laughs> in many mm -hmm. cases. So right, like I, I discovered Axie just like a lot of people just like much earlier, right, where I was one of the first, I don't know, a couple hundred people in the Discord. Uh, it was very small. There were around, you know, maybe five to ten people there to kind of welcome me and walk me through. And, you know, I was I was super excited about it because, right, like I, I was I was an, an early CryptoKitty community member, right? And there was always there was this notion like, hey, like we need to be able to do more with these things so it's not just about breeding and selling them, right? Like there has to be some emotional value. There has to be something fun that we can do so it's not just us dumping cats on each other, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so we kind of, you know, there was a little bit of that already uh that the space kind of understood and you know so i i, I you know I fell in love with the art and the fact that there was a you know this roadmap towards a playable game um that seemed achievable um you know that really that really resonated with me so i just started you know i just came in and started doing all the things that i i thought i, I could uh help with right so like you know helped write um the original white paper um, I started doing a lot of the announcements and, you know, yeah, community building, right? Where in the early days, it was doing unscalable things, like getting to know everyone in the community, sharing the vision repeatedly so people understand, like, you know, what we're building and why. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think like, a lot of that is still applicable today where, um, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff around the community and the economy. I think it's very interlinked, right? Because, right, ultimately, what's what creates this sustainable economic engine is uh, right that people are spending right for fun or for status within the ecosystem right that's um, that's what's kind of subsidizing right the, the economy and this ability for people to actually earn. Was it as simple as just understanding Axie to be Crypto Kitties but with a game, or was there extra you know magic sauce that that compelled you in addition to that? Yeah, I think. That was part of it, right? Like we were just iterating, right? Like we, you know, I think a lot of it was some people saw Axie as a fork of CryptoKitties, right? Like the marketplace contract is very similar. The breeding contract is very similar. Uh, and right, a lot of the early community members, right? Like, you know, kind of uh, gave up on CryptoKitties and came over, to, came, came over to Axie. So, right, there was a little bit of that. Yeah, a lot, the, a lot of the people who got it immediately were like, hey, like we, there was three weeks where we could breed CryptoKitties and actually make money, right? Like how could this... You know, potentially last forever. Um, so I think a lot of the people who are thinking through that framework were actually able to understand Axie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, was it what, what was it in equal parts of like the fun of the game and or with the token tokenomics, the breeding, or was it were you actually thinking like, oh, this is actually a really fun game. I I am excited to play this. Or was it more about just like, oh, there's this fun like weird breeding economic system behind it. Like was it was it both or was it, was one really compelling? 
I think it was a combination, right? Like, yeah, the idea that, right, like you would actually need to spend time in game to earn the right to breed. I think that was like, right, like one thing that just locked into place and, and seemed to make sense, right? Where you could basically, right, like the problem with CryptoKitties was there's just a hyperinflation because people could just like, you know, keep breeding uh, at will. Whereas, right, the idea that, okay, if you actually sunk human time, effort, and skill uh, to earn the right to be able to breed, right, this would, you know, act as a, uh, as a way to basically, right, back each axie with with real human time and effort so i think that was a lot of it right and then yeah people were part of it was just the community like people were willing to help people understood that this was a community driven thing they were really helpful they were making awesome memes um they were making awesome you know they were has we had some initial early video content creators and stuff like that so um there's awesome art um so yeah i think it's you know it was a combination right of the community and and the and right the art and what promised to you know what was looking like it would be a pretty fun game so I, I, I want to unpack, there's so many things I want to unpack. I want to unpack first off the, the community aspect of it because isn't also, even though it's actually is like, it's, it's more than a community because this, a, the, the size of it is so incredibly large. It's like you guys correctly, in my mind, call it the Axie Nation, especially because you have your own economy. But isn't the community at, at the very, very basic level also in competition with each other? Right? Like isn't, isn't, it, isn't Axie kind of like a race for resources? And so, like, yes, it's very, like, collaborative, and the Discord is very, like, community-oriented, but also, isn't it competitive, too? There, There is a lot of, right, at its base level, too, right? Like, um, the uh, right, there's, Axie is a, right, like, in terms of the current product, is a card battle game where you battle these pets together in PvP battles. There's a leaderboard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's there's also, right, this, this collaborative spirit, which I think is interesting, right? Like, how do you turn, like, what's you know, right now a PvP experience in terms of the gameplay and why is it so collaborative, right? Because there is, right, this base uh, ownership, right, where everyone owns axes, right? A lot of people own access tokens, right? Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, right, there's, there's a little bit of co- competition. I would say friendly competition as well, which kind of creates some camaraderie and, and bonding. Um, but also, right, there's this PvE component. Mm-hmm. And the PvE component is like, Everyone in the Axie community against the world who doesn't take us seriously, who thinks that NFT games are never going to work, right? And we've always had that kind of underdog chip on our shoulder. And I think it's really important that we maintain that even as we get larger. Did you just use PVE where the E is not just the game that you're making, but the whole entire universe? <laughs> is that yeah, what you just exactly. did? I think right. I think Dejan Spartan once talked about that, right? In ter- like life in terms of like PVE, P and PVE. So um, yeah. It's an interesting, like, tool to uh, rally a community behind because, like, there's no better, like, enemies that exist to rally a community than, like, the faceless ones, right? And especially the gargantuan faceless ones. Like, oh, yeah, like, we're going to take on everything. Uh, can you just uh, unpack that a little bit more about the significance? Is that, is that, like, an idea that you have or is that more, like, a codified part of the Axie culture about how, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to take on the world? Or is that, is that just kind of the vibe that you get after you read between the lines? I think it's maybe half, right? Like we saw in the early days, right? That the community was kind of rallying against, always, right? They had some kind of something, something or some, someone to rally against, right? In the early days, we kind of had like this beef with the CryptoKitty community where they thought, oh, like this is just a CryptoKitty clone, right? They're never going to do anything, um, right? So yeah, there's always been, I, I think, right? Like, and from the early days, we saw that that was like, you know, a good strategy. And I think it's also true that, right? Like people, because Axie is so cute, I think, 
they don't take it seriously. Um, and it's like, I think it's just been us proving, right, the doubters and the haters wrong, like month after month uh, over the over this journey. And I think, right, that's like part, yeah, it's part, you know, it's part of the fun, I think. Um, and I, I, so, yeah, I, I think it's part of our culture. And I think it's also something that, you know, the community leaders, not just myself, right, community leaders understand is, is, is uh, an effective strategy uh, for getting everyone on the same page. I want to keep going down this thread, but there's a question I have that I think if I don't ask it now, I might lose it. And that is, um, a lot of the games that, that I play, like Diablo, both 2 and 3 included, um, Borderlands comes to mind. A lot of these games and just uh, end up all in the same state, which is like grinding. Uh, and for me personally, that's kind of when I like tap out of the game. It's like, okay, I will go through level 0 through like n- like 99, but once I'm at 99, like, I'm out. Like, I'm done with the game. Like, I don't want to grind the same things over and over and over again. Uh, have, you, have you guys thought about this at Axie, and how have you, like, keep, kept people engaged post-grind? Like, once you get to the grinding, grinding stage, how do you get, keep people entertained? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, obviously, right, like, the fact that you have ownership of the things that you're grinding for, I think, uh, you know, helps, right, where you can potentially, right, convert it into, in, into something that's helping you in real life. I think that all games with staying power have, right, like, basically had interesting social elements uh, to the ecosystem where, right, with WoW, WoW guilds, right, there are people who play WoW not because they find WoW enjoying, but because all their friends that they've met online are playing WoW. So it's like, if they quit WoW, they're going to lose all their friends, right? So the the social the social systems are really important. And yeah, I think like, right, with Axie, right? It's like people, they just want, they love being part of the community. They love learning about Web3. There's always something fun to look forward to, right? Like we're constantly iterating and building new experiences on top of the axes, right? Like we're the the current product is actually our second battle, second version of the battle system. We're coming out with the third version of the battle system. So everyone's like, right? Like we have this like when v three meme, um, stuff like that, right? And then um, yeah, it's it's just like we're building out in public, so people feel like they're building together, that they're collaborating together, that every you know that, that there are these connections, and it's yes, yeah, it's just far more than a game, right? It's it's a place to have fun to bond with each other, to flex your crypto uh, kind of extravagance. Um, so it has, it has a, it's actually is rewarding, right? So people ask always ought to come to this topic, right? It's like, is Axie fun, right? And I've actually, we would talk to you and I've listened to some of like the thinking from the founder of Eve Online. And right, and he talks about it as like, right? Like game, people talk about fun, but actually what games should ultimately strive to be is to be rewarding in the same way that we find our lives rewarding, right? So the, if you talk to a, a, any random person, right, they might, they pr- probably, right, like they might not find their life fun all the time on a day-to-day basis, right? That might not actually even be good, be good, right? Fun is probably a poor thing to optimize for, right? But ultimately, most people find their lives worth living and and rewarding uh, through through different uh you know, through different forms of kind of, I guess, value, if that makes sense. There's, right, there's there's social, there's economic, um, right, there's building a legacy, right? And I think, and, and I think what, the thing about Axie is that it's it's actually, right, like harnessing this kind of like idea of ikigai, right, where you're, you're, you're people feel like they're part of this movement. They're building something that's uh, substantive and important and, yeah, they're having fun and making friends while doing it. There's a, a line that I remember um, Joe Rogan saying once upon a time where he was recounting the story of this uh, 
person that he met that had this like kind of basic like production behind the scenes job at some like like live music venue. I don't know, is irrelevant. Um, but and just like kind of this normal guy. But all, but he was like in some like insane top ten tier World of Warcraft player. And like the line that this individual left with Joe Rogan was that I am such a nobody in the real world, but in World of Warcraft, I'm like one of the biggest celebrities. Uh, and like Joe Rogan was harping on the fact that the guy was talking about how he's nothing in the real world. And like the contrast that he was giving was like, oh yeah, he gave up, he gave up his real world identity in form of this like fake World of Warcraft identity. And he just in, in deposited all of his like, you know, mental energy and mental motivation into this fake world, this like this World of Warcraft world. But I, I think when you uh, kind of uh, take a context of what you just stated, where it's like, no, World of Warcraft's not supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be rewarding. And then also we talk about integrating assets into things like Ethereum, where you know there's USDC on Ethereum, which is connected to the Federal Reserve, and how can that be fake, right? And so like you know the the game, the thing, the assets that you find in your game are just one steps away from being the the reserve currency of of the world. How can that be fake at all? Uh, and so, like, the, the takeaway that I just got out, out from what you just said is that, you know, ga- with games not supposed to be fun, they're supposed to be rewarding. Like, we're actually trying to recreate the real world, but in the digital world, right? We're not, we're not trying to make, we are not trying to make the digital world fun. You're trying to make the digital world real. Is it, is I think it, that's also, that's also a functioning definition of the metaverse, right? Is, totally. Right? The, the, right? This, this idea that our digital identities, our digital items, our digital experiences and lives are starting to merge and right, like become just as important and just as substantive and rewarding as our lives in the physical world. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a, a, a hopefully a transition happening where like games are no longer just like supposed to just serve you like dopamine on a platter, but they're supposed to serve you emotions of all types like responsibility, like the, the things that you would find out in the real world, like loss. I think a, a, there's a big component of EVE Online, which is loss, where like you go and you build your ships and then like you get like hijacked by pirates and you lose all of your stuff. Like that's, that's a real emotion that you're going to feel as a result of that. And it's not fun at all, but it's very, very real. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the, mo- right, the more the sustainable game economies right are going to mimic uh parts of life that we don't like um in in interesting ways and and that's also right it's like as a as as someone who works on games right that's something to think about is like right like how close to you know everyday physical life do you want these games to be um and what is there is there right is there some hybrid that is like a nice i think um middle zone that it might be you know preferable um so yeah, it's it's. I think that's where a lot of the design space is. There's another line that I hear also from also on Joe Rogan, but this one came from Elon Musk, where he was talking about why Instagram did better, better uh, has got bigger than Twitter, and Elon Musk said it's limbic resonance, as in uh, Instagram resonates with people's like more reptilian brain much better than Twitter does. Twitter makes you think, it makes you like actually use your brain. Instagram doesn't. You just you just vibe in Instagram, it makes you feel emotions, uh, and so. Maybe the version of the metaverse that delivers reality rather than just dopamine is the one that humans gravitate for because we're striving for that uh, n- uh, that same kind of uh, feeling, right? We're, we're striving for that, you know, responsibility, all the things that make us human. Uh, and so maybe it's the successful games of the world are the ones that don't just deliver dopamine on a platter, but are the ones that 
allow people to like deep use their deeper parts of their brain. Yeah, especially the ones, right? The ones where it's where people feel okay, I think, spending 12 hours a day and right? Uh, it can't just be right all all pleasure. Um, speaking of Joe Rogan, we were Joe Rogan. Uh, Axie was actually mentioned on Joe Rogan really? uh, last week. Like he was, he was looking into it. You know, looking at the the website, he had it up. Uh, so we we're trying to get in touch with him. Um, but that that was like that was an amazing moment for the community. Yeah, I think Joe Rogan's like on the cusp of just like going down a lot of the Web three rabbit holes. But and everyone wants to talk to Joe Rogan, obviously. Uh, but it's just, I think it's just, it's just going to take one of us to break open the doors. So if it's you guys, congratulations, if that, if that's coming your way, that'd be pretty cool. It's interesting because right, I think the, the flow of the conversation was, Hey, like, you know, what do you think about meta right? and what, mm-hmm. you know, Facebook, formerly Facebook is now doing. And then, right. Somehow, right. It's like, right. Like rather than showing anything that meta was doing, they actually showed Axie Infinity. So, uh, if yeah, if we can be right, if we can be the poster child of you know this new digital revolution that's happening, um, I think yeah, I think that's going to be awesome for for us, for 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 Ethereum, for our, yeah, for everyone. So, how did you go from like one of the just the, the early members inside the Discord to an actual team member? I just you know I showed up and I, I saw all these all this work that needed to be done, <laughs> um, and I, I started doing it. You know, in the early days, I didn't get paid. We didn't even have, we didn't have money. We didn't have ETH. Uh, so, you know, I was getting paid in axes uh, initially. Ended up, you know, working out really well. Like, you know, some of those axes are, are super rare right now. Um, so, yeah, you know, just started f- figuring out, you know, what needed to be done. So a lot of the initial team members, they're Vietnamese, right? Uh, Masmune, who's like our artistic genius. Trung, uh, who's like our CEO, he's an engineer. Um, they're Vietnamese, so right there's you know there's a little bit of a language barrier, right? So I, I thought, hey, like I could come in and just, you know do some communication, uh, you know try try to build uh, excitement and understanding of how big this could be within the community. When you saw the potential behind Axie Infinity, did you what what in what potential did that forum come in? It's like oh, there could be a lot of people playing this game, or like oh, these axes could be really really valuable. Like wh- which one was the one driving you? Yeah, I think it's it's a combination, um, right? Like I think also like your, your the the limbic system thing also like resonates because it's like hey like these are cute like people are gonna like this. Um, this has the chance to really change gaming. Uh, we understood that there right like we understood that there are problems with gaming um, in those early days. I know because right we wrote, we wrote the white paper in about February or March of 2018, and we talked about some of the problems. Um, in gaming, right? That, right? It's, right? Like basically, right? In traditional gaming, right now, majority of the value is not going to the people that are creating a majority of the value, right? Uh, the app stores, the game publishers are taking like north of fifty percent. Um, so it's not even the game. It's not the money isn't even going to the game developers, right? Uh, it's it's a lot of it is going to these to these middlemen. Um, so that's why, right? Like. Crypto is just like, right, like so textbook de- definition, right? This is not advanced stuff. It's like wherever there are huge extractive middlemen, right? You remove that middleman and you give it to the builders and the community members. Um, so, right, this is actually is just that principle, I think, applied to a game. And I mean, so much of people, uh, so many people must have come into the Axie ecosystem more or less with uh, th- that mindset or something similar to it as opposed to like, oh, this is going to make me rich mindset because like, while Axie definitely started off the conversation of like, oh, crypto gaming is like a financial opportunity. It didn't start there. Like, so 
have you noticed since the mooning of the AXS token a difference in the people that come into the Axie Nation? I'm assuming you have. Right, this is something that I talk to Peter Pan about a lot, right? Is community building in a bull market and community building in a bear market fundamentally different problems. Sometimes require fundamentally different people. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's something that we we think about a lot, right? Is like, right, you get this, right? Like bear markets, you'll have a small number of missionaries and then, right, the, the entire world finds out about you in a, in a, in a bull market and maybe, right, the, the cycle repeats and, right, you end up with more missionaries than you did at the end of the last cycle or the beginning of the new cycle. Um, so, yeah, it's like nature, right? It's like, it's like nature's healing. But, uh, yeah, definitely as, right, our audience becomes more mainstream, uh, you start to run into, you know, different types of problems, right? Like, you know, gamers are not super nice as a demographic, yeah. uh, right? So you start to have, right, like, our, you know, your your community starts to become closer to, like, a, a League of Legends community in some cases, or some of them are starting to start to become like that. Uh, but I also think that a lot of them are, you know, are able to learn and understand, right, that this is, uh, this is a movement, and a lot of them are receptive to the education and um, and that's also why it's important, right? Like, I think a lot of the projects that are trying to copy us, they don't have this, like, older, right, these veterans who are going to come in and, uh, you know, basically tell the new kids what's up and what this project is really about. Yeah, is there, like, a schism between the OGs and the new members? Yeah, I would say some of the some of the OGs are a little bit reclusive and hesitant uh, to, you know, engage with the with the newcomers. There are others that are there, like, you know, that are, you know, more public facing and, you know, uh, think that and prioritize really educating the, the new faces. Um, but yeah, like, just like within any society, right, it's kind of like, oh, like, you know, people come in and, uh, you know, there can be like class, it's like, it's almost like class uh, Generations, yeah. rivalry, right? Or, and generational rivalry. Yeah. How have you guys, uh, have you guys had to deal with that? Or is that something that has been like, it's a maybe a, just a small friction? Or is it actually something that you guys have had to address intentionally? Just the differences between the generations. Yeah, I think like I think empowering people to build bonds. Um, I think like the content creators, uh, like the OG content creators too, right? Like they they do a good job because right they they also right like they see them as their followers and 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 stuff like that. So um, it's something I, I it's something that I think is a difficult. Uh, it's a difficult kind of phenomenon that's happening but it's also it's a luxury in many cases because a lot of projects they don't they don't have any of that right they, they just have maybe i don't know a very small community and many of them might just be super new and only focused on uh, the token go up so i would imagine there's some like dynamic like tribe dynamic where you have the village elders and then you have like the punk kids and the kids want something that the village elders don't and maybe the village elders know best you can't only listen to the village elders because, like, you got to also include the punk kids, right? It's uh, politics. It's politics, right? Like, and it's it's now like I feel like I'm a politician, right? Like, I'm I'm a <laughs> I have right like we have consist constituents, right? And I think that's what this is. Yeah, it's it's we're starting to see the rise of these kind of opt-in nations, right? Where it's not like right like the management is still right like uh, mostly top down. But right, like it's opt-in, right? So if, uh, I, I think that's also that's what we're starting to see more so than like fully decentralized co-management structures is right, like you get to choose who your uh, who your leaders are, 
um, which I think right is like that right to choose, I think is, is a key distinction. Um, yeah, well, and I think we'll also start to see, right, like, right, like more, more decentralized contribution, creation, building, um, and also maybe, yeah, potentially kind of like decision making for the for the future the for the you know the future direction of projects but it's i think there's a lot of research and experimentation that's been going uh on and going into that kind of stuff and um i think like the optimal i think the optimal strategy is also right i think vitalik talks about this right is like there are different communities that uh want different levels of um right different trade-offs if that makes sense like the the axie discord is like the largest discord in the world if, if i'm getting my numbers right and I would imagine managing that is just an absolute nightmare. And if you call this thing a nation and you're calling what you're doing politics, how are, how are all these different factions organized? Like, are there, is it a representative democracy or do you have like, you know, the content creators over here and then you have like the players over here, but then you have like the casual players over here and the advanced players over here. And then you have like the, the actual builders. Like how, how is this, how does this nation organized? Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, so our our Discord is interesting, right? Because our Discord is actually an interesting example of how we've attempted at least to tackle this in the short term, where we actually have a collab land inter integration. So you basically, right, collab land will read your wallet, see what NFTs you have in your Ronin wallet, and, and then assign you a role, right? So if you have three axes, you at least get to speak <laughs> in the general chat. If you have 10 axes, you might be able to speak in the economy chat, right? If you're a landowner, you get to, you get to speak in the, in the land holder chat right um so yeah it's kind of right we have these you know uh, parallel forums uh for discourse um and then there are people who float among among them and yeah we have community you know moderators and, and volunteers that um kind of you know guard dog uh the discord right where right, you're trying to make sure that people aren't like misleading people people aren't trying to scam the the new players and um and things like that so it's it's fascinating i've I spent a lot of my life in axie discord um and yeah i mean discord as a product changed my life i think i actually yeah so i am I, I am still i think the number one um like by messages in the axie discord with i think like you know a couple hundred thousand so my god wow that's that's insane you said you talked about guard dogs in, in the Discord, make sure that people aren't scamming people. If we're using a nation metaphor, that feels like the police. <laughs> yeah, it's like more like vigilante justice, I would say. Yeah. Uh, maybe like a little bit. So we're, we're trying watchers. to, right? We're trying, yeah. We're trying to, like, we're trying to figure out, like, I think this is a question that we think about a lot in conjunction with the rest of the entire ecosystem is like, right? Like, what is the level, what is the correct level of, like, community, right? Like, the community driving some, some initiative and norms uh, within, within the ecosystem and, you know, what needs to be kind of like more of, more of a firm, right. you know, something closer to a rule or a law, right? Right. That, yeah, that's, that's nuts. Um, I can't imagine how, how much of a, how tall of an order that is. Do you ever fear that, like, what happens if Discord goes down? Like, Discord has gone down at times. Like, what would it, what would the Axie Nation do if Discord like died for a week? Yeah. So I will I will point out a data point. Our monthly thirty day volume topped out at the same week that we hit the Discord max. 
right? So it's like we solved, right? Like we were able to build this, you know, EVM scaling solution to scale our game to millions of players. And then what's the thing that might be holding us back right now is like the 800,000 cap on a Discord community, right? Because I feel like being a part of the community is such a fundamental part of the experience um, that, right, like you're probably, you know, you're not getting as engaged community members. If you're having a lower activation, hard activation rate, right, in terms of like, I don't know, growth marketing terms, right, without having people actually able to join that main discord so i'll i will say that it's, it's interesting and yeah like our, we're definitely overexposed and overly reliant on discord i think it you know like there are some web3 you know alternatives that are starting to maybe pop up but it's it's, it's still so early but I, I do think that that is right that is the next wave of innovation i think right around like basically social coordination tooling right so we're starting to see you know i don't know uh these token gated forums um started starting to pop up so which might be like an iter early iteration of that they're not quite as right real time as discord discord right like the server stuff is like you know it's gonna be hard to it hard to get something to that to that level um quickly and right there's a reason i guess right that and maybe discord is inherently unscalable right like why why don't they why won't they let us uh get get hit a million uh, in our discord right it's it's that must be a very 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 it must it must take like a lot of like server power right to to, to keep that thing going totally yeah it's it's like if <laughs> the breaking of discord while you guys are doing the all-time high in volumes on on ronin is like, well, we actually got Web3 to scale more than Web2. Like, Web2 broke. <laughs> that, it wasn't that's, Web3 right, that's that the broke. paradox. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was a paradox. I felt, I, I felt like, yeah, that was, that was interesting. And I think it shows, right, that we're facing a lot of the, we're facing a lot of the problems that these NFT games are going to face in a year, two years. Um, we're facing them first, and we're going to, yeah, we're going to have to solve them first for them, for everyone else. So as the AXS price just, went absolute bonkers of the one of the resulting downstream impacts of that is like so much angel investment seed investment seed round startups came as a result of that like once you it kind of felt like you know when bitcoin went from zero dollars to a thousand dollars all of a sudden the next thing that happened was that we had like ten thousand bitcoin forks now we're kind of seeing the same thing like axs went from like a three million dollar market cap which is basically nothing to where it is now in the multi-billions uh, and now, after as a result of this, we have like an infinity number of play to earn games being like invested in right now. Like, are you, if you had to guess, what percentage of those will have any sort of like meaningful adoption? Like 5%? I, I, yeah, probably like very small number. Yeah, around like 2 to 5% two to sounds, sounds directionally correct. I think we we'll might have to see a lot of consolidation. And this also goes for the guilds, right? We also saw an explosion of funding rounds for guilds <laughs> for the games. Uh, so yeah, we might need to see consolidation around that. And yeah, it's it's going to be hard for the, all of them to, to succeed. But yeah, I think like we will also may see right some of some important projects come out come out of this class, right? I think that's you know generally how crypto works, um, right? Where even right Ethereum was you know you I think funded you know by. Uh, by bitcoin right like that that's, that's how you paid in the ico um i think so yeah it's you know it, it, it's, it can be overwhelming um sometimes right and it seems like yeah we everything got comped against us um and i think like people don't understand people are like hey like yeah if you just make a game with better graphics like it should it should be it should have a higher market cap right but right, they don't they don't understand like 
the work that's put got, gone into this the, in terms of the community building as well and the thinking around you know the economy and um nourish uh kind of yeah nourishing these uh content creators and every, and everything the the relationships um social capital in this network but yeah i i think you know we also are you know, extremely bullish on, you know, these player owned digital nations, uh, right. That's, you know, that's part of the vision for Ronin is uh, to be this scalable place for right, some of the uh, next generation of, of these experiences. So of those like 2.5 to 5% of these play to earn game startups, say, say we're on the other side of this and like that 5% exists and we see which ones they are. What do you think will be the thing that they needed to have gotten right in order to make it through that filter? I think it's a combination. It's a, honestly a combination of things, uh, which which I think is what what is going to make it so hard. Because some people might get some people might get the community rights, and some people might get the economy right, and some people might get the scaling right. Uh, some people might get the art and the gameplay right. Uh, but I think putting it all together is right where the where the magic happens. Um, I think yeah, Web three community building. I mean, I'm I'm you know maybe I'm biased. <laughs> I, I tend people everyone tends to think what they do is is important. Um, so I think Web three com community building is is you know is a is a difficult journey uh, that requires like blood, sweat, and tears, and there are no shortcuts. Um, I think the art uh, it has to be like the right type of game. Right? I think like like one of the one of the underappreciated reasons for Axie success is that people love their Axies. People right they feel bad selling their first team of axes, their first axes. The Gemini exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like YFI and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with Gemini.com slash GoBankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's Gemini.com slash GoBankless. The Brave browser is the user first browser for the Web3 internet with over 50 million monthly active users. Control your digital footprint with built-in privacy and ad blocking. Inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit developer.offchainlabs.com to get 
get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free. So Jiho, we had this uh, break in the conversation, but we're going to do our best to pick off, uh, pick up where we left off. Um, you were talking about how everyone has this like emotional bond to their first team of axes, and it makes it uh, difficult to, to sell these axes or emotionally difficult is, is what you were uh, inferring to. Uh, and kind of reminds me of um, a conversation I was having with a DC investor where uh, NFTs went when like uh, crypto prices go down significantly. NFTs don't, they don't really, they're not the first thing that people go to like liquidate when they need to cover their margin positions, which many people in DeFi have. Um, can you, do you have your own experiences about like your emotional attachments to, to axes that, that you might be able to share? Sure. So yeah, there are a bunch of axes that I would never, that I consider priceless that I would never sell, right? Like my first axie number 707, uh, right. That was what kind of introduced me to the universe and started my journey, right? Like I bought that thing. I thought it was awesome and right. Just started. I felt like, okay, I, I'm part of this project now and I have to, and I have to start working. Um, so yeah, I think right. Like that emotional utility, right. It, I'm not sure if that's a, re a term, but let's, I think, I think it makes sense. Right. It's like, there's this emotional utility where, right. Like, Right. NFTs don't work if everyone is buying NFTs to try to make money. Right. Like uh, it's just the, the 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 laws of the universe don't work like that. Right. There has to be right. There has to be uh, this notion that right you're kind of spending money. There are people who are spending money on NFTs rather than just every everyone can cannot be an investor. Right. Um, just like. Yeah, I think we talked about this. Right. Like right? like when you buy a Pokemon card. Right, I you you buy a Pokemon card because you just need it, right? Like the fact that you there is liquidity for it, right? Like can allow you to justify spending, you know, a, a large amount. Um, so I think that's a, a lot of where the future is, and right, like pe what people what people need to understand. I think this is also something that we don't do a necessary a good job of communicating as a space to the public, right? The public sees this, you know, they see us as uh right these degenerates that are right online right like make and all the headlines about are about people making millions of dollars or whatever and uh we have to do a better job of communicating right the emotional utility the emotional aspect um the pride and joy of showing off these nfts uh i think i think that's super important in um in in the education process and and you know expanding the community and getting more people involved has this at all turned into a more like concrete strategy with the future of the Axie ecosystem? It's like you guys are trying to inject emotion into the game. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think things like right, like collectors' badges, um, right? Like, uh, so there was an interesting there was an interesting change that we made where by accident, right? Like when Axies were fighting in battle, they stopped making facial expressions like. <laughs> stopped grimacing or uh when they're attacking or getting attacked and that was like a big issue for our players right so we realized that right like these small little details that make axes more lifelike they're they're really important so um i think uh axes right like for example if you log in 
and you haven't logged in for two weeks, right? Your axes should be right, like treat uh, act, acting like a dog or a puppy when you get home after a long break, right? That uh, so I watched the documentary. Like, why do we love dogs? Why do humans love dogs? It's not actually because we think that they're cute, right? Because there are actually a lot of people who have dogs that are kind of objectively ugly, and they still love them just as much as right dogs that are actually right objectively cute, right? And a lot of the reason that people love dogs is because dogs actually love humans. Dogs show love and affection to humans; they reciprocate it. Um, and that's actually what makes us love our dogs the most, right? So basically, in order for people to love their axes even more, we have to basically create systems where the axes actually can show affection to their owners. Um, so that was a conversation that I had with with like the art team and the animation team, um, and they seemed really receptive to it. So, as a developer, that sounds like a really fun project. Uh, hey, make these NFTs, these animated NFTs, make them show love towards the people that, that own them. And like, we, we could go, like we talked about how like the, you, you talked about how the NFT industry doesn't really do a very good job of um, advertising the emotional bond that people have to their, um, to their like, you know, NFTs and the external world just kind of thinks that there's these pixels with price tags. But also if we really want to optimize for that price tag, we would probably be trying to create NFTs that are more like stronger uh, conduits of love between owner and NFT. Like this probably would be good for the valuations of these things. I think so, right? Like ultimately, yeah, there has to be, right? Like a combination of aesthetics, utility, and scarcity, right? And that's where I think that's where I, I wrote this about this in I think like 2018, right? It's like the triple threat framework for adding value to NFTs. Um, and yeah, like, you know, we, 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 I think people kind of understand the scarcity part. They kind of, they, you know, they understand the aesthetics. And I think gaming, right, in general is, is an answer, uh, an attempt to answer, right? Like, what does, what does true utility for these things look like? Um, so that's, you know, that can be, did, that can be seen as okay, like you're using the, these things in a game, um, but I think it's also right, like you see these as part of your life. Um, so, so yeah, uh, it's it's really important. Um, so I, there are actually a lot, the people, the virtual beings industry has started reaching out to me a lot over the last year, right? What because I think what they see is okay when people think about AI or intelligent, yeah, basically like uh, intelligent characters. Right. A lot of people, they think about, OK, like, how do we get a hologram or, or right, like a virtual influencer that, right, like, uh, that seems lifelike. Uh, but I think right, even lower hanging fruit is how can you make a virtual pet that is more lifelike? Because the barrier, right, the, the, there is no like Turing test, right, like with a pet, right? It's, it's like it's, it's, a, it, it's a lot easier, I think, to simulate that the experience of a real pet than it is to ex to simulate the experience of speaking and interacting with a real human being i think um so i think the virtual being space or the virtual life <laughs> space is actually really really interested in, in axie um so yeah there, there's definitely some stuff to explore around that as well earlier in the conversation we were talking about how uh good games 
especially good Web3 games, have migrated from just like trying to serve dopamine on a platter to its players to creating much more realism. And uh, we talked a little bit about like loss, right? Like when you lose in a game, like you should actually have lost something either monetary value or something scarce because, you know, there is there's there is no joy without loss, right? You can't, there is no such thing as one-sided happiness. You have to have sadness to also have happiness. Uh, and I, I think, and you also talked about how, like, you know, the, the, uh, the a working definition for the metaverse is something that is just the digital world, but just trying to replicate, uh, replicate our actual world, but in, in virtual format. And so, like, my mind is going towards, like, the, the version of the metaverse where, like, I think the way to onboard people into the metaverse is, like, find ways to optimize for love, right? Because that's, at the end of the day, that's all what people want. Like, you know, we all, we, we, like, some people get trapped in the money game, but really people forget that, you know, money is just, you know, a means to an end. And usually everyone's end is the same thing, which is love. Uh, and so maybe that's the alpha for any of the, you know, web three game developers here is like, yeah, you're actually trying to build love into your game. I think, yeah, it's, it's right. Like these, these real emotions, right. It's like, uh, I don't know. What is the, what are the hierarchy of needs? Um, what is like Ikigai, right. I think like some people, they, they say that Axie is interesting because yeah, it operates right at the intersection of what I want to spend my time doing, what I enjoy doing or what I feel super passionate about, um, so yeah, I, th- I think yeah, replicating these right. Like we, we talked about right, the, the people people they say oh like NFT games they're not fun enough, right? Which is, and fun is some kind of like arbitrary ideal, but actually, right? You know the founder of Eve Online, right? He says like don't optimize or don't you know chase fun as a as a developer, right? It's like you actually want to you know create professions within your ecosystem, right? Like you want to create a rewarding experience um and i think right like yeah i think right like what we're seeing is that our digital lives are becoming rewarding in the same ways that our physical lives are hard they're difficult but we ultimately most most of us find them rewarding in in some way or or another do you do you think that software there's that meme that software is eating the world right and now with ethereum and smart contracts software is also eating finance for like the first time ever uh, and we, there's generally been the pattern that anything that software touches, it generally improves. Uh, and so now we have this concept of like the metaverse where software is just straight up eating reality uh, and pr- outputting like a different one uh, that perhaps is improved. Like we could, it, could, it could get real dystopian, but it could also get real like utopian as well. Like, do you, do you think that like, do you, do you agree with the trajectory that like software is producing a new version of reality that perhaps is better because that's how we can code for that. We can code it to be better. I wouldn't. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say better. Um, but what I'll, what I'll say is right. It, it, I think it's creating this base level of access to ideas, relationships and communities, right? Where for most of human history, we were, forced almost right to basically be a part of the town the community that we're kind of physically born into even the nation state whereas what we're now seeing are these opt-in nations opt-in digital nations opt-in digital communities that are starting to fulfill a lot of the needs and desires of what it means to be a human being and 
right? Like if you're born into a, right, if you're born into a very difficult situation, I think it provides some opportunity out where, right, you can meet people from anywhere around the world, learn from them, um, right? You're not just like, you know, being limited to the people and ideas and circumstances of where you're, you know, physically born into. Um, so that's, that's one, one thing that I'm starting to see, right? And I, I think it's interesting that, right, the first scalable impact that we've started to see is, right, like, you know, people going crazy over Axie and places like Venezuela and the Philippines, right, where there is, you know, very low access to, right, like, yeah, uh, opportunity, ideas, um, things like that. So. Well, I think that's a really optimistic version of the future. Obviously, there is the uh, tug of war behind like, well, you know, you can't actually go live in the metaverse. Like, you know, the metaverse will not put food on the, the table. Only real, real resources in the real world definitely will. But it's also hard not to be just extremely optimistic of it's just easier to discover things that you care about on a on an emotional level because of exactly what you talked about like the internet allows you to go take a beeline for the things that you care about where if you were born in some you know small town population of just like 1000 people in some like flyover state or some you know third world country where like your hobbies that you have can't really be fully expressed um, maybe the metaverse allows a more direct route to expressing some of those interests and I think, right, like one, one key point that I think just popped up into my head is it allows you access to people in a direct access almost to people in a different socioeconomic class than you, right? So you could be a right Filipino Axie player and you can join a guild and you could meet, right, like, you know, really uh, in, enlightened Web3, you know, people from all over the world that have been in this space for six years and kind of learn from them. Um, and when, right, like, when very rich people spend within these right digital economies, there's more, right, it's more of a, it's more of a perfect trickle down system, right? For example, right. So if you know someone, if someone is rich and you know just wants a bunch of axes, they're buying axes from the marketplace. That there is right like direct value transfer from someone in a developing world spending for fun and to increase their collection to people in emerging markets that are right. Uh, seeing this as a way of uh, ascending in, 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 yeah, in the, in the universe or, or their kind of like their socioeconomic status. So I think there's more, right? Like this one have been, this one been one of the, I think like the super controversial things, right? About, I don't know, the last 40 to 50 years of, you know, uh, global macro policy, right? Is like, right? Like how efficient is this idea of like, right? Trickle down economics. And I think we haven't really seen, right? Truly efficient mechanisms of having, those types of trickle down mechanics actually work, right? Where, you know, arguably when rich people spend in the physical world, a lot of that spending goes to other rich people. Whereas I think in when rich people spend in the digital world, there will be more of that value captured by, uh, yeah, you know, I guess people from, um, people who are, you know, I guess <laughs> who don't have that much uh, capital. Mm -hmm. Jiho, what about the future makes you optimistic? 
I think that the future is going to be scary. <laughs> I think the future is going to be actually be more free, and there's actually going to be more responsibility in that. I think like we're starting to see the technologies that will allow us to be right more autonomous, um, but there there will also be right like <laughs> a battle. And and I think for me, like what I find, like I always felt like I want I was a revolutionary without you know any cause uh to be involved with so i think like right like if you're if you're that type of person right like i think our gener generation has reason to be optimistic because i think we are a lucky generation in that there will be significant causes to take part in um which is right like right like so, some people might feel jealous of people who lived during i don't know the, I don't know, like very peaceful eras. I think we're not going to have a peaceful era. I think it's going to be full of conflict and um, schisms and different ideas. But I think those are the most interesting times to live in. And I think our generation and the people who are involved in this ascension of Web3, we're, we have a chance to be uh, yeah, looked back on. Uh, for generations to come. So we actually, it's almost like a generational opportunity that will come with a lot of, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be hard. Um, but I think right, like at least we have a cause worth fighting for, which I think some generations um, didn't, didn't have the chance to like, maybe like the baby boomers or something like that. So I think um, being adaptable in the 2020s is going to be a very, very important uh, property or characteristic for, you know, making it through this crazy decade, because I also think it's going to be one of volatility and chaos. Um, any other characteristics come to mind as to what would be useful properties or characteristics, personality traits for people to uh, lean into as they navigate in the next decade? Yeah, so I think like, yeah, open-mindedness, uh, curiosity, yeah, just being open to making friends with anyone anywhere in the world and forming like deep social and kind of economic relationships with with people over the internet right i think um yeah i, th I think like and then just like being willing to i don't know waste a lot of time online right trying to click <laughs> the right combination of buttons to go down these interesting rabbit holes um, i think that's just you know so i i think like the yeah, the willingness to kind of wander and right, like some people, I don't know, are so goal oriented. Uh, but but I think sometimes you just need to kind of absorb um, information. Um, so I think having that willingness um, is, is also going to be really important. Jiho, thank you for joining me on this episode of Layer Zero. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.